Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, July 11th. I mean, we talk about this, and it, the flying time just flies by, and we're already into July. It's good to have you with us, telling and appreciate you telling others about this podcast. A lot of people are dialing in. I'm amazed at the number of people that are tuned in over the Internet, and that's via the app that's out there. And now we have some new methods in which we're broadcasting this we rebroadcast this through Stitcher and through YouTube. Our YouTube listeners, has, there's an explosion going on over there. I had no idea how many people were dialing in and starting to listen to that. So we're starting to get more and more interest there. Please appreciate my assistant, uh, Kurt, over in the Philippines, who's my virtual assistant, and he does a great job of uh, keeping us up. We're releasing a new website here. <laughs> as soon as I get the time to finish it up, put the, cross the T's and dot the I's. So anyway, but we appreciate you joining us. These are new ways in which you can listen to the program. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. And it's not because we're trained broadcasters. It's because we have a passion to share what we know, what we're hearing with the industry. I want to say a special thank you out to our sponsor. Oh, before I say go anywhere else, we have back as our special guest, Alan Weiss. Uh, if you were recall, Alan was on, I believe it was February 23rd, was on the podcast, did a great job on the, uh, February, I meant May, May 23rd, February, scratch that, May 23rd, and he talked about his predictive uh, valuation models. He used to be the CEO of uh, Case Schiller and uh, has been studying, he has a life passion of looking at property values, and now he has a new innovative way in which some consumers can be purchasing homes. It includes a mortgage, it includes a down payment, but there's a new aspect to it. So do stay tuned all the way through to the podcast, through the podcast to listen to the Hot Topic segment with Alan Weiss. We have him on the line and very excited for that interview. Now, a very special thank you goes out to our sponsors, ArchMI, which has the innovative new RateStar program. We'll have a word on that in a minute. We also have Motivity Solutions and their new business intelligence technology providing real-time reporting, dashboards, and scorecards. Wonderful technology. I'm sure you guys heard the news. They were recently acquired by uh, Black Knight. And then there's Velma, the virtual electronic marketing assistant, which can help you build stronger, more profitable relationships with set-it-and-forget-it auto campaigns, or you can create a custom on-the-fly program to Find out more and uh, find out why I recommend them and feel so highly about them. Call Brent Emler, my good friend Brent Emler, at 208-854-7909 or go to Velma, V-E-L-M-A dot com. Simplifile, Nancy Alley and her team of professionals there help you be able to communicate. They do a number of things really well, but one of the things that I'm really excited about, especially as we work in the trade and the post-trade world, is a real-time communication, chatting, messaging that you can do with closing agents. It's tracking changes, sending, receiving, and validating documents, as well as obtaining status updates and deal with issues as they arise in a real-time electronic exchange. It's not like anything that I've seen out there. There's others that kind of mimic this, but this system through Simplifile is just second to none, and I encourage you to check it out at Simplifile.com. It's S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call them. Call Nancy. You'll enjoy the conversation. Great person at 1-800-460-5657. Also, D&H is moving your world forward through technology. They have been in business for an astounding 140 years. Now, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a feat in itself. They employ 5,500 people across uh, the nation. They have 8,000 clients in 70 countries. And what I'm excited about is the mortgage bot product that is an all-in-one LOS that can do for you uh, some amazing things. And they're very innovative. They got the new uh, barometer product come out. You know, I think a 140-year-old company it has got 5,500 employees. It's got to be stodgy. It's got to be stuck in their ways. Far from it. I had the chance to sit down with Gerard, and one of the most innovative guys that I've talked to, he is looking at the future, and you want to go check out MortgageBot.com. 
and some of the innovations that are happening. There's some new things happening there, some real exciting stuff happening, and I'm looking forward to having them on as guests to tell you more about. Also, the Mortgage Collaborative is founded by the past five presidents of the NBA. The Mortgage Collaborative is a co-op that gives its members the opportunity to meet and have meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry in a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to www.mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Zerbinski. Good guy, Joy Rich. Uh, call him. You'll enjoy just meeting him and talking to him. Call him at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Of course, I want to say a special thank you to Andy and Joe today. Alice is not going to be with us on the program. She's traveling for the next three weeks, so she won't be here for the whole month of July. I'm going to miss Alice a lot, but she's traveling. Wish her well. She'll be back in August. And then, of course, we have Sam Garcia and Paul Mallow. Good to have them dialing in and sharing their wisdom about what's going on in the marketplace. Well, let's see what's going on at the CMBA 44th, second, uh, 44th Annual CMBA, California Mortgage Bankers Association, Western Secondary Conference. I'll be doing the broadcast from the arch mi booth be sure to come there and love to interview you if you could swing by the booth and uh we're working out that or if we're not sure the booths are going to be open at that point so we're looking at ways which you can come by wherever we're going to be at so stay tuned we'll be announcing that also come join us at pure michigan going to be at the michigan mortgage lenders conference in fact i caught up with joanne miseraka the director of the conference and i caught this message and i well, in fact i'm going to play that just a little bit in, in just a moment mortgage collaboratives conference is august 20, 20th and the 23rd at the four seasons in denver and of course you can check out all the conferences as the mba is involved with the conferences and education at the mba while you're there sign up for the mortgage action alliance joe far good to have you here as always i love your website i'm on it as you know you're checking me and you go you dial in a lot i'm I don't know how anyone that's in the mortgage business isn't dialed into this thing constantly. You do a great job. I love the organized way you have it up here, and it's good oh, stuff. thank you. Tell us what, what is going on in the market today, my friend. Well, Dave, the MBS prices are down just a little bit today. Um, you know, and that's that's not bad given how far yeah. we have risen uh-huh. over a short period of time. You know, this morning um, – you know, uh, you know, beating down two or three thirty seconds doesn't doesn't take any special thing to move it. But we did have over the weekend um, some uh, activity out of the Bank of Japan, where um, Abi was uh, uh, under some form of election inside the upper chamber of their parliament, and he got a favorable elect a favorable result, and and as a result, the market has concluded that there's likely to be more uh, quantitative easing going on in um, in Japan. It's hard to imagine they can do a whole lot more, but that has sent the, the Dow up to record highs. I don't know if they're still there. It looks like they're still there. Not the Dow, but the S&P and the Dow is real close to record highs. Uh, but it begs the question, you know, we're, we're at uh, record prices, stock prices, and record low mortgage rates. And it's kind of like, how can you have both at the same time? But I think the answer is central bank stimulus, you know, most recently out of the Bank of Japan. Um, but also the Bank of England said they're ready to provide more stimulus, and, and the ECB has as well. So, uh, you know, both stocks and bonds like uh, like central bank stimulus as long as it's not creating a, a lot of inflation. Uh, on top of that, we already are, have low global interest rates, you know, some even negative. And then there's a big demand for safe U.S. government-guaranteed uh, assets. Yeah. So uh, big demand for mortgage-backed securities. So all that leads to a situation that's pretty good right now, you know, uh, you know yeah. record well, stock you prices at, as well as very low mortgage rates. Well, it's the flight to quality. If you live in a foreign country right now, where are you going to want to put your money? In a negative interest rate in a bank where you, they're taking your principal or getting into some U.S. government-backed bonds. And so it's, it's understandable. I, I wonder if the flow of money really isn't from foreign shores coming in here to the – where they can actually earn a yield, albeit meager. Yeah, I expect that's true on the – I expect that's true on the government guaranteed uh, bonds, yeah. but uh, yeah. you know the stock market may be not so much because overseas stock markets have performed very well here in the last couple of days. So, uh, I think it's all central bank, you know, in their buying up too. So I mean, that's just my who knows. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk All about right. last week. It was an interesting week last week. For it sure. was another good week. Jeez, it was a mm-hmm. it was a good week. MBS prices rose another a uh, little more than a quarter point. Uh, just going back to the day, uh, the Friday after the the Brexit vote, um, MBS prices have risen about 150 basis points. Mortgage rates have fallen about 30. So, uh, been a serious uh, improvement in mortgage rates over a short period of time. During that time, the economic data has had very little effect, and, and there's no better example than what we saw on Friday. I mean, the the great jobs report, 287,000 when 180 were expected. And you know, I heard that that's just the third time that the miss in that, you know, the consensus was missed by over 100,000 jobs. So, um, you know, you don't see a miss that that big very often, obviously. Yeah, very, very, um, very rare. Yeah, and on top of that, people felt uh, uh, confident enough to enter the workforce. Uh, you know, it caused the unemployment rate to rise, but it was really a positive thing that they entered the workforce. And infl- and wages wages grew at the fastest pace in years. So, everything about that report was uh, was was really pretty good. And in spite of that, we had very little negative reaction in mortgage rates. Ordinarily, you'd expect them was. to fall pretty hard on that yeah. data. Yeah, exactly right, which is, again, to the flight of quality where we're seeing money coming in. Uh, the wage growth was positive, though. For some reason, I missed that. Yeah. Wage growth well, was it, was, it was at the best pace in, in a few years. I don't remember how far back you go to get to a 2.6% annualized wage growth, but that was the highest it had been in years. Good. That's encouraging. Uh, ISM services came out last week, and it too exceeded expectations. is better than the prior month. And the the Fed minutes, I guess, after all the testimony and and all the talk after the the uh, last Fed meeting, there wasn't much more to gain from the minutes, and so there was not a lot of reaction and had no effect on MBS prices. Uh, so this week, you know, we have we have uh, very little on the economic calendar until Friday, but that is. That's packed. But before Friday, we have Treasury auctions. Um, should have had just should have just had the three-year auction. Uh, the 10-year auction is tomorrow, and, and that can sometimes have an impact on MBS prices. And then the uh, 30-year auction is on Wednesday. Uh, after that, we have uh, on Thursday. Well, Wednesday's the Bayes book. On Thursday, we have jobless claims and PPI. And then Friday, we have retail sales, PPI, industrial production. New York Empire State and uh, and the first look at the consumer sentiment numbers. So, you know, most of everything that's coming out this week is uh, is going to be back in it at the uh, on, on Friday. It's going to be uh, another. It's going to be a busy, busy day on Friday. So again, I, I'm not anticipating any kind of volatility. I think there's no the Fed rate hikes are pretty much off the table unless we see some extraordinary. Economic development, but I mean, what's going on? Well, the all job over the jobs data that came out on Friday, I think, kind of might have put a rate hike, the possibility of a rate hike, back on the table. Not not for yeah. July and probably not for September, yeah. but if things continue to Possibly. show steady, uh, maybe a December. Yeah, that'll be very interesting. Joe, you do a great job on your website. I encourage people to check it out. And for those of that want to learn more, go to this web or listen to this ad, and we'll tell you about the website in just a minute. Phone calls are coming in. Listeners, text me. Don't call me during the podcast. Be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. And we've got Paul Malo on the line. Always fun to have Paul Malo joining in and giving us his take on what's going on. And folks, I always say this, but we are encouraging you to go out and sign up for the imfnews.com um, email that blast that comes into your uh, inbox every single day. And does it come in more often than that, Paul? Is it at least? <laughs> it's at, I know it's at least daily. 
Well, you know, we have the weekly newsletters, which are subscription only, and when something breaks or we get a scoop, we send it out right away to subscribers only, and then we sometimes put it on the website. But the website is always there. Uh, you know, it's a whole difference between do you visit the website or do you wait till it gets pushed to you when the new report comes out. Uh, but, you know, it's up to you. Whatever you want to do. Good stuff, though. I love love it, love it. www.imfnews.com. I'm looking at the website. Let's run through the headlines here. Sure. Listen, we, we, we crunched the new uh, Fannie Freddie uh, seller servicer numbers for the second quarter. Uh, their customers delivered uh, about $218 billion uh, into single-family uh, Fannie Freddie MBS during the second quarter. Uh, that was uh, an increase of about uh, $45 billion over the first quarter, uh, but th- the big part of that gain, 30%, came from California. Uh, where total uh, GSC loan sales jumped by almost wow. 38%. You know, listen, I mean, California's on, you know, price-wise, mortgage-wise, it's on fire. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, anecdotally, I've been talking to people, I always talk to people, but, you know, there's a concern in some markets that, you know, maybe these prices are really getting ahead of themselves. California's always one that comes up, but I was talking to someone down in, uh, who lends it a lot in Florida, and he was, he was, he's been a little concerned about some of these I know bidding wars on you know homes in you know nice waterfront communities that you know it, it's getting a bit intense and and I've heard that sentiment expressed in in other you know red hot markets like the D.C. area here and um, something to keep an eye on um, you know and 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 it always comes back to lack of appears to be a lack of affordable housing first time home buyer um, home supply and I hear that time and time again and. Um, Listen, lenders are happy, but I guess people are just fretful what might happen down the road uh, when rates jump up again, and, and ultimately they will. But we, we've been saying that for two years, and it hasn't happened, so yeah. I don't know. It hasn't. No. no. And, you know, and, and I don't know if you, if you were listening to the May, uh, the May 23rd podcast where we had Alan Weiss on, who is on as a guest again today talking about predictive modeling. Um, property values, and he actually was saying that we may be at some inflection points in a few markets. So you got to go check that out and you know, listen to the hot topic, and I'll connect you with Alan. You definitely want to get and listen to him and get some of his comments. Uh, you sh- he should definitely be on your radar. One of the people you're talking to for certain, Paul. Okay, keep that in mind. Uh, listen, uh, six centers, including Corker and Warner, they sent a letter to uh, might have been on Friday. Uh, to Mel Watt, basically urging him, you know, don't take any steps to facilitate the release of Fannie and Freddie. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, we have some of the uh, smaller mortgage trade groups and the community organizations asking Watt to, you know, let these two have a capital buffer. Don't let that capital position go down to zero in 2018. Right. And the six centers come along and say, you know, don't do anything to release them from the conservatorship. You know, there's a lot of, you know, gray area here. Can they allow Fannie and Freddie to recap without, you know, doing anything to screw up the lawsuits against the government over the taking case, Do does uh, giving them a capital buffer again constitute them coming out of conservatorship? I don't think so. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of letter writing going on in Washington this summer. Uh, so that's on the website as well. Um, apparently, um, uh, Moody's Investor Service, um, uh, they have a new report on PHH. They're looking at downrating or it looks like they're going to. It looks like they may downgrade some of their uh, ratings on, on their debt and other things. Uh, PHH is the largest uh, private label uh, lender servicer in the nation, and as we've reported uh, early this spring, uh, there's some questions about whether Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley are coming back. Um, you know, so Moody's is out there looking at their ratings, and we'll see what happens. It's going to be a really interesting second quarter for not just PHH but all the publicly traded non-banks to see. Uh, you know, how they did on the origination front versus what kind of servicing marks they took. Uh, and that that could be potentially a big story in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Redwood's out there. They adjusted their, their uh, quality control process for, re- for reviewing jumbo originations. That's a story from Brandon Ivey. Uh, people should take a look at that. And in short takes, um, uh, I didn't realize it until late Friday, too, that Fifth Third has got a new mortgage chief, and he came from, lo and behold, uh, PHH, Edward uh, Robinson, uh, who used to lead the uh, one of the top guys in the servicing operation over at PHH, he is now over uh, running the mortgage group at Fifth Third uh, Bancorp. Uh, there's some also talk that Ginny May is looking at the acknowledgement agreement uh, having to do with collateral and Ginny May servicing and what can and can't be done. 
there was a Ginny May liquidity summit a couple of weeks ago in D.C. We wrote about that. Uh, that whole thing was interesting because it was invitation only. There's some people who wanted to go. They couldn't get in. Uh, now Ginny May is holding another summit in September. Um, so something to keep an eye on. And we don't write about mortgage crime a lot, uh, but this one stood out. A former councilman from uh, New Jersey apparently was sentenced to 60 months in prison uh, for his role in a $13 million mortgage fraud scam. That involved, you know, it's, it's a lot of these scams are the same old thing: straw buyers, over, you know, inflated uh, real estate values. Uh, and you had a politician involved. This was on the Jersey Shore area. I know Wildwood and Wildwood Crest, uh, and uh, that's. Pretty much it for Monday. A lot of good stuff up here, though. You do a great job, Paul, and I encourage you listeners to make sure you receive this daily inside your inbox. And uh, you, you won't be disappointed. It helps you keep up on what's going on. So, Paul, thanks so much for joining in with us each and every week. Appreciate it, friend. Thank you. Have a good week. You bet you have a great one. Good, good summer up there. All right, we'll look forward to having you back next week, Paul. We caught up with Joanne Miseraka, who is the director of the Michigan Mortgage Lenders uh, Conference, and she does a great job of running, I think, one of the better conferences in the country. There's some really good ones, but um, I caught up with her a little bit earlier. I'll be speaking at this, and so I want to share this with you, and so you can join in. If you're looking for a cool, great place to go in August, our first week in August, listen to this. I want to take a moment to talk about an exciting event that's coming up this summer. It is the annual Michigan Mortgage Lenders Conference, and I have Joanne Miseraka, the Executive Director of the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association, on the line with me. She's one of my favorite people. She's got such a great heart, and I'm really excited about this upcoming event. Joanne? Well, hi, Dave. We're excited to have you up there, too. The event is our annual lending conference. It's going to be held August 7th to the 9th at the Grand Traverse Resort in beautiful Acme, Michigan, just outside of Traverse City. It's a great resort. We have lots of items planned, including some great dinners, outdoor events, a golf outing, and then, of course, our wonderful speaker lineup. I'm excited to be a part of that speaker lineup, but tell us about some of the other speakers that are going to be there. Well, we have Jeff Babcock from Stratmore Group. He's going to be talking about just the economic issues and the things that are changing in the mortgage industry and how that all affects our business owners. Dave Trott, a former president of our association, he's now in the House representing Michigan in D.C. He's coming in to speak for us. Louia Marie Dweisel from is going to be talking about diversity, um, which is something that we all need to be conscious of in our workplace. And then, of course, Bill Emerson, he's uh, CEO of Quicken Loans and the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association this year. He's going to be doing a keynote for us at our president's dinner on Monday evening. These are excellent speakers, and I'm looking forward to hearing each of them. And you also have a keynote speaker that you've invited to this event. Who is that? Gene Marks. He's a author quoted all over the country. He's going to be talking about technology and the new millennials. With that speaker lineup, Joanne, I can only imagine things are beginning to fill up. How are registrations? Do you still have room for those that want to attend? It's filling up, and we're already exceeded our, our number of registrations from this time last year. And the resort is accommodating, and then there's a secondary hotel that's filling up quickly. So you should make your reservations soon if you haven't already. Listeners, I encourage you to consider attending this event. There's outstanding speakers. It's in a beautiful part of the country, and the temperatures are so wonderful up there. So be sure to come up and join us. Once again, the conference starts Sunday, August 7th, and goes through Tuesday, August 9th. Hope to see you up there. To learn more, go to the Michigan Mortgage Lenders Association's website. It is www.mmla.net. Make sure you put in the .net. I'm Alice and I will be there. Hope to see you up there, folks. We've got Sam Garcia on the line. Always fun to have Sam on, and he's another one of the guys I just love looking over the website. It's one of the resources that it's got such valuable information on. Sam, good to have you joining us from hot, hot Dallas. Boy, hot in more than one way. You have had quite a week up there, my friend, this last week. Gosh, are you at all close to where any of the shooting, where the shootings took place at all? Yeah, I'm pretty close. I'm in the uptown neighborhood, which is not far at all, so it uh, hit me a little close to home. But, uh, you know, I've got a friend who's on the police force, and he's just devastated, as uh, are many people here, but fact is I'm yeah. really proud of our mayor Mike Rollins and the police chief David yeah. Brown the way they've just you know acted as solid leaders and 
you know, they're showing much more transparency that, uh, than we've seen maybe in some of the other recent incidences across the country, and there's been a lot of them lately. So uh, it's good to see that leadership, and it kind of brings people together, though. You know, a lot, a lot of issues still to resolve across the country, but uh, it was just, you know, terrible that it happened here and it hits home, but uh, it was nice that we had those two people really uh, setting a good example and kind of doing the best to bring people together. But uh, Anyway, and what's, so. what's really and what's really unique about this situation, I don't mean to get into all of this, but in, with you being there, I think it's just interesting. And our thoughts and prayers, by the way, go out to the the families that, who lost loved ones, the police force, uh, and in the police force, and then. But there was some. There's. It's what I think the injustice of this is. Dallas has got one of the better records at staying connected to the community. Now, obviously, there's this one individual, and there'll always be some number of individuals within the community that are just not uh you just can't reach and they just got an attitude as as did this individual who just created mayhem and chaos and heartbreak but it's um it's how was really touched with how this the the leadership in Dallas so i think this is a template and example of leadership uh i'm a student of leadership i study it and i'm uh, i'm as encouraged to see how they handle it so we'll see but anyway let's move over to some mortgage daily headlines here my friend good to have you here so let's run through them yeah, thank you. Um, we just released our first quarter biggest lenders report. Um, you know, you know, as, a, as is the case pretty much every quarter for years, Wells Fargo remains the biggest originator and the biggest servicer. But uh, there was a little movement. Uh, Loan Depot moved up from number ten in the fourth quarter to number eight. Um, of course, they've been growing quite a bit, and they've got some innovative things going on over there. At the same time, City dropped to number ten from number eight. Um, and then on the uh, servicing side, Walter Investment replaced Aquin as the seventh largest servicer. And of course, Aquin's been unloading some MSR, so its portfolio continues to shrink. Um, we uh, put out our mortgage market index, which uh, indicated that new business was down 11% last week. But uh, given that we don't make seasonal adjustments, and last week included July 4th, that was pretty good, actually. Um, that index reflects average rate locks per user by uh, open, open close clients. And one thing that stood out was while most categories saw a decline last week, jumbo activity was up 42%. So it's a small share, so it's easy to have bigger uh, increases and de- decreases. Yeah. Um, you, you all talked about the uh, the mortgage or the employment report last week, and uh, that data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics indicated that non-bank mortgage jobs inched up about 500 positions to 301,500 jobs, um, and it was a gain in mortgage broker jobs that offset or more than offset a loss in real estate credit jobs um, to bring that number up. Um, we estimate that, you know, using our uh, the BLS numbers and also origination share data, we estimate that including jobs at uh, financial institutions, there's about 631,100 mortgage jobs out there right now. Um, and that includes roughly uh, 271,000 jobs at banks, uh, 500, I'm sorry, 58,500 at uh, credit unions, and then the 301,000 over uh, reported by the BLS on non-bank jobs. So uh, mortgage jobs have really been pretty consistently growing, and of course that's you know somewhat related to the fact that rates just continue to be lower than they were most most of my lifetime, for that matter. So uh, it's yeah. so funny that many people out there don't have a clue that rates were it was normal for them to be above ten percent for so many years, and they're just Double extraordinarily yeah. low still. Um, agency MBS, um, we got some data from EMBS, and they indicate that. Uh, that fixed-rate agency issuance was uh, up 5% in June to $108 billion. Um, that was the most uh, MBS issuance uh, for the agency since July 2015. And, again, that's probably reflecting some increased refinance activity. Um, Fannie and Jenny both saw a 7% bump from uh, May, while Freddie was up just 1%. Uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out its Mortgage Credit Availability Index, and that was down again in June. Um, and when that's down, that means uh, lending standards have tightened. Um, that index hasn't risen since October 2015, and currently it stands at its lowest level since February 2015. Um, I, I suspect, though, that you know when you have a lot of volume coming in from refinances, you can be a little bit tighter in what you're doing and not take as many chances. So if this refinance uh, uh, boom ever ends and rates rise, why we probably will see that you know uh, loosen a little bit as we go along. 
Um, the American Bankers Association reported that 30-day delinquency on home equity loans uh, jumped 6% from the fourth quarter to 2.74% in the first quarter, but HELOC delinquency was down three basis points to 1.15%. Uh, American Bankruptcy Institute reported that uh, consumer bankruptcy filings rose in June to 62,990. And finally, um, uh, we got some data from Reverse Market Insight that indicates FHA endorsed 3,771 home equity conversion mortgages in June. And that was slightly uh, more than a month earlier. So uh, those are some of the biggest headlines that we've had, uh, we've covered over this last week do a great job. It's a great website, and I encourage our listeners to go check it out. But if you're checking it out, be sure to check out the data that's there. It's an amazing amount of information and what he has available to those who subscribe to this website. Sam, appreciate you being a part of what we're doing here. Appreciate it very, very much. Check it out at www.mortgagedaily.com or call Sam at 214-521-1300. Stay cool up there, my friend, as best you can. And, uh, Kudos to your the leadership you have in your city and to the our hearts go out to the police force, my man. Appreciate hey, it. and thanks for letting me be on the show. Appreciate it. Are you kidding? It's a privilege to have you here, bud. I love it. Really genuinely love it. All right. So let's get on over to Jim Jump at ArchMI. Love Jim and I love his energy. I'll be broadcasting again from their booth or a designated area, depending on what time the booth area opens. Jim Jump. Let's get a word from him. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to ArchMI's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Jim, I appreciate you being here and as an advertiser, and I love it. And not only that, folks, if you have not reached out and talked to your local ArchMI sales representative, you've got to do that. They have, I don't know how they pulled it. Who's the talent acquisition person there? But whoever's doing it, they're doing an outstanding job. Some of the greatest people. I love this. Salesforce, they are so active and just personable and knowledgeable. They'll drag you into a good conversation. Not drag you. They'll draw you into a conversation about the Rate Star product. I encourage you to check it out. We have the Profit Doctor. He is in the house and uh, just ahead of our guest speaker coming up or our guest coming up, Alan Weiss. But, Alan, Andy, let's get you on. You've got a webinar coming up. You are just like one of the, the – you Mr. MBA when it comes to producing these, these webinars It's because you do such a great job. Tell us about it. Well, thanks, Dave. Well, we're going to be talking about servicing. It's one of my most favorite topics. We're going to be talking about servicing, subservicing, servicing functions, how to know when to retain servicing, what if you're going to build servicing, how do you how do you spool it up, how do you manage it right, how do you comply with the federal laws, how do you comply with the agency guidelines. There's a lot to this, and we spend a lot of time in servicing operations, evaluating companies for MSR financing or subservicer assessment. So we, we do this a lot, and we're in a lot of companies. And uh, so we're going to share some of what we See, observe, and know about servicing. And our webinar is coming up uh, the 20th of July and the 27th of July, both through MBA Education. So go to mba.org and click on webinars, and you can find your way to the webinars. Excellent. So is it, is it titled When to Hold Them and When to Fold Them? Exactly it is. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. Uh, let's talk, uh, Morgan, let's and talk a little bit about business intelligence. I'm really excited about how that can drive profits. And you, 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 there's just nobody who better than really to talk about this than yourself. 
Well, you think about the word business intelligence. You know, unlike military intelligence, which we which we think is is that we have opinions about that. Business intelligence, we think, okay, what does this mean? Intelligence about our business, or knowledge about our business, or awareness about our business. So, business intelligence is a common word. Bi is out there a lot, but if you think about it, it's really just information. And there's a lot of data. There's a ton of data in mortgage banking. And as we get in to speak with Alan, he he, he lives in the world of data. Yeah. So there's lots of data in our LOSs and in our loan origination systems, whether if it's MortgageBot that you work with, Dave, or Encompass, or you know, on down LendingQB, on down the list. There's like 16 yeah. LOSs out there. A lot of them will interface with companies like Motivity, which is a business intelligence provider, other companies similar to Motivity, and even accounting systems like Loan Vision takes data from an LOS, imports it into the accounting system so you can then run reports. But this is where the rubber meets the road. This is what I call the then what. The then what. What do you do with it? Once you get all this data, then what? You know, Alan turns it into predictive behavior. I mean, he predicts what values are going to change. We need to take this data and do our then what. At the very least, I'm going to give two things. At the very least, every single company needs to have a 45-day cash forecast. How much money are you going to have in the bank on August the 31st? You should have a really good idea about what that answer is right now today. And there's tons of data to help solve that. We were just working on this last week. It's, it's, there, there's information out there to help come up with how to predict the amount of cash you're going to have in 45 days. You've got to have this to run a business effectively. It's all about cash flow. And then also, this is the summer months. For most companies that are pure retail, this is the, the blow-and-go time of the year. We're making record volumes. We're making record profits. We've, we've achieved marginal efficiencies in our business. We're making lots of money. Now's the time to store up our nuts for the winter. We should be putting money aside every month to cover our low months, our lean months, so we don't have cash issues in December, January, and February. We also need to think about alternative revenue streams for those down months to offset the seasonality of the mortgage business through the summer peak and the winter drop. We need to have other ways of dealing with that. And one thing to do is to use your staff that's now underutilized by managing uh, purchase leads. Go to consumer, go consumer Direct and get some more revenue coming in. whole other topic, I know you're an expert in this stuff, Dave, but with cash flow perspective, from my perspective, got to manage cash, got to predict cash, got to look forward into cash, and you got to use your data to answer the question, then what? So there you, you go. Do a great Let's job, what Alan Yeah, thinks. you do it. I can't. I can't wait to get what Alan thinks on all this. We're going to have him up right after the Motivity KPI of the Week knowledge. If people want to get a hold of you, Andy, the best way to do it is Andy at MBS-Team.com. Is that correct? That's it, Dave. You got it. Andy at MBS-Team.com. You'll enjoy the conversation, and I guarantee you're going to learn something. Let's swing over. Before we Thanks. bring on our guest, Alan White, so we're going to bring on a quick KPI update, and we're going to talk about underwriting the closing KPI. It's one of those ones we've got to be paying attention to as we get into this part of the month. We'll be right back after this brief word. Hello, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be here as always. And this week we have another key performance indicator related to TRID. And the KPI is underwriting to closing days. And like all TRID metrics, the focus is the estimated closing date and how far in advance a file should be submitted to underwriting to make provisions for any and all underwriting eventualities, possibly multiple resubmissions, and leaving enough time after final approval to finish the loan and deliver the closing disclosure on time. A very common practice for lenders that have automated their analytics with mortgage business intelligence like Movation is to have the system automatically send email alerts to participants on those loans that are running late and at risk of missing these milestone deadlines. Now, this allows loan participants to continually reprioritize their workflow to ensure they remain compliant, clearly demonstrating again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you once again and turn it back to you. Check it out at MotivitySolutions.com, MotivitySolutions.com, or call them at 303-721-9000. 
I have really enjoyed my conversations uh, preparing for the last podcast and then uh, learning more as we work on this Hot Topics segment. And we have as our guest today, and I'm talking about my conversations uh, with Alan Weiss. Alan is the uh, president founder of uh, Weiss Analytics, uh, Weiss Research, uh, Residential Research, Weiss Analytics, and also graduate has a master's degree from Yale. He was the CEO of the Case Schiller, and we're honored to have Alan back on the program again to talk about an innovative new way in which home buyers can acquire a home, and it's called indexed fractional ownership. It's something you're going to be hearing more about, and we're honored to have you back on the program, Alan. Pleasure to be here. It is, I thoroughly enjoyed our last podcast, and for those listeners that are listening it did not get to hear that or haven't gotten caught up on listening, I go to the May 23rd interview that we had with Alan. I was I was really encouraged by that, and I have, have had so many downloads of that podcast, Alan. It's, so you, you, you're really registering here. So we're glad to have you on and talking about another innovation that you're doing. Let's talk about that. What is RevX? That's what we're talking about. That's your this product. What is RevX, and what is um, indexed fractional ownership, or IFOs? Well, RevX stands for Real Estate Value Exchange, and it's a new company we formed as a subsidiary of Weiss Analytics, the goal of which is to produce an entirely new form of institutional equity in homes that lets homeowners, whether they be uh, single-family owner rentals or eventually owner-occupants, get a slice of financing that is not debt and is not their own equity. That's interesting. I mean, it's um, Joe. I want to get you in on the discussion here, so I'll toss the mic over to you. Alan, uh, uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, uh, who, who, Alan, do you see benefiting using this service and benefiting from it? Well, the goal product? is that it's a win-win-win all around. The, the notion is that if you think about companies as an analogy, companies finance themselves with equity. Uh, and people call that stocks or shares in a company, and they finance themselves with debt. And usually there's an attempt to keep that in balance that's appropriate for that business. And larger companies have access to debt markets and equity markets, which helps them function well. If you go over to houses, people who own houses, whether they're owner-occupants or investors, typically have access to their own equity and uh, debt, but there's no formal institutional equity that can help them keep the debt low, the payments reasonable, and so on. So from my perspective, this would help the owner of the house have a lower payment because they have a partner in equity in the house. Um, It therefore makes the loan safer for the lender, and, and the investor gains access to an asset class that really should be in people's portfolios since it's so large and important for our economy. I just think it's a, a kind of liquidity that's been missing since the beginning of time, and now with modern technology, it's become possible. It's just a question of building it. Um, generally speaking, markets that are liquid and function well help everyone. There's really no downside to it. It's generally upside as long as it's done in a proper way, and that's what our goal is. Yeah. And so uh, uh, before we get into more about how it works, is this something that's available right now? No, it's not available today in the form I'm talking about. It's in development. What's available today are the price indexes that we believe are essential for driving it. So we have developed in the parent company, Weiss Analytics, uh, home price indexes at the house level. We have 60 million house-specific indexes, and these are used for various decision-making functions uh, in buying homes and lending and so on. But one use we think um, that's going to be ultimately the most important is so that when somebody takes an equity position in a house, there's an objective, uh, transparent third party that can settle the question of how much of the house when it's sold should go to the equity investor and how much should go to the owner-occupant or single-family owner of the property. What this does is it untangles the problem that's prevented this from uh, being implemented thus far, which is that a house needs to be maintained and so on, and sometimes the owner wants to improve it, and all of that value should go to the homeowner. And how do you untangle changes in value f- 
from the condition of the house from changes in the market, and that's the purpose of the index. The investor gets the index, the, inv the homeowner gets the sale, um, and then whatever's left over. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, uh, as we learn more about this, I'm sure we're going to understand more when you roll this out. What is the rollout plan? Sure. The rollout plan is three phases. Phase one is occurring right now, in which we are using our indexes and our forecasts to make investments in houses that are in markets that are, we and our investors find attractive. It turns out that these house-specific indexes are very, very good at picking up on trends, and for about a three-year horizon, we have a high degree of confidence we can select markets that are good investments. So the first step is to build up a portfolio of houses in strong markets and hold that as an investment portfolio. Stage two is then to begin to make investments uh, in houses that are uh, owned by third parties that are rented out. So our, our portfolio will be of rental properties, but we'll own them directly. This next second phase will be single-family properties that are owned and controlled by third parties, but which our investors will participate in a minority interest in which the appreciation they enjoy or depreciation if that occurs is uh, measured by the house index for that house. And then finally, the third phase will be to transition from single-family rentals to owner-occupied houses at the time when regulators and lenders and mortgage agencies are all um, on board and are comfortable with the program. Wow. This is amazing stuff, Alan. Hi, it's Andy. Hi. Um, I can just think I have so many more questions than the ones that are here that we're talking about. Um, so let, let's start with what's the impetus to bring this to market now? Why now? Why now? Well, um, my now has been there for ever since, uh, let's see, I was 30 years old, which was several decades ago. I've, I've always looked at the market for owning single-family homes as kind of not constructed in the right way. If when you go to business school, you learn about not putting all your eggs in one basket, and you look at home ownership, and that's exactly what people are doing. In fact, it's more than all their eggs um, in that people generally owe more than their net worth, and that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. And somehow we put that thought aside when we own homes, and we do that at our peril. We, we see that uh, when prices go down, and they go down significantly, in major markets or the entire country, it brings down the entire economy. Mm -hmm. And that's always been a problem. I've been aware of that since uh, this point was driven home to me. And ever since then, it's bothered me. It seemed like there's two, two fundamental beliefs we hold that contradict each other, but people don't pay attention to it. One is don't put all your eggs in one basket. And the other is borrow a lot of money to buy a house. So we, we pursue both. And we see the consequences of it, but no one ever says, how can we make that better? And I've, I've made my whole career about making that better. That's why I formed Case Schiller Weiss with Professors Case and Schiller. Um, we produced the indexes so that we could settle financial instruments on the housing market. We ended up uh, succeeding in creating a standard, but did not get very far in that loftier goal. And I'm still at it, and I think we finally have cracked it now that we can produce indexes at the house level. Wow. That's so exciting. And this could be such a boom for the housing market with the restrictive credit and additional reduced debt benefiting both the credit and also the risk exposure to the consumer. So, so you know, like you said, you started thinking about this probably 20 years ago or, or more. I've gone through several crashes in my life. Um, mm -hmm. Not that that's a good thing. Um, so how are you how are you different than others who've tried to accomplish this? Well, as I said, I think the biggest stumbling block has been the fact that a house is a physical object that's maintained by the owner, whether that owner is a single-family rental owner or an owner-occupant. So when you try to bring in debt financing, it works because there's a formula that says how much the mortgage holder is owed. You have interest and you have a payment and you have amortization. So as long as the house is reasonably maintained and it's not underwater, we, 
the lender always knows, and there's no real disagreement to as to how much the, of the house, in effect, is, is a claim they have versus the homeowner. But when you go to equity and you try to settle it on the price of the house and sell it or an appraisal, there is no formula. It doesn't. So you have to go to what investments did the homeowner make? Did they maintain the house up to market standards? These are really hard questions to sort out. And all the programs that have come before have tried to settle up on figuring out the value and the appreciation the investors owed based on really an impossible process of sorting out maintenance, investments, and so on. So what we're doing is we're saying, let's go to the part of the mortgage model that works, which is have a formula. And that becomes possible when you can accurately track the change in the value of that particular house through time, objectively. That's what our indexes do. So our equity formula is as straightforward and as transparent and always known to all parties, just as how much you owe in a mortgage is. That part is just like a mortgage, a simple formula. The difference is that with a mortgage, you make monthly payments, and with equity, you simply pay when you sell. But when, right. you, when you do sell, you, everyone already knows how much uh, of the house is going to create liquidity for the investor and how much for the homeowner. Wow, that's amazing. So Rivex, pretty cool. So I can't wait to I'm, – I'm sure you have them locked in a vault, but I bet the algorithms are, are really amazing that you've created to be able to do exactly this point. Exciting stuff, Alan. It really is. So when do you need to, what do you need to do to make this generally available? Well, I th- as I said, I think there are steps to this. We, this is a new concept. I don't think it's actually any more complex than a mortgage, but it's new and it's unfamiliar. We have mortgages that have fixed rates in 30 years, even amortization tables for 30-year mortgage. The math is not, not trivial, but we're all used to it, and we understand how it works, so it's become a norm in society. I don't think that happens overnight with anything new, and I think that's going to be true for indexed equity. It's going to take time. So I think number one is simply enough time for people to get familiar with the concepts that someone's going to own a piece of the house, but the owner's going to control it, and they can sell when they want, and then there's formula to settle up. Aside from that, it's, there's some some legal structures that need to be finalized so that people understand how the ownership is shared legally between the the owner and the investor. We need lenders to become comfortable with the process of underwriting a mortgage with the presence of a third-party investor. We need regulators to be comfortable with it, and um, it will obviously help if we have um, one of the GSEs backing it. So we're working on all these steps. Uh, talking to people, and starting the process, as I said, by building up a portfolio that's driven by the indexes, number one, and then number two, once we have a portfolio of single-family rentals in which a slug of the equity is held through this index method, that will give us a way to point at something that isn't a consumer product but has a structure. And I think that will be the basis of education that hopefully leads to the consumer product. Interesting. Really good, Joe. Alan, can can you give me a, a you know a, a cash flow from you know how uh, where the money comes from to buy buy the house and then after that is there any cash flow between the investor and the bar and the and the buyer or you know how does that cash flow and then ultimately how does the investor get his cash out? Sure. All right. Let's let's use an example. Simple numbers. That there's a one hundred thousand dollar house that is owned by an investor who rents it out and has a tenant. So the tenant is unaffected by this whole process. The investor, for, for simplicity, let's say, um, owns the house outright, and they want to get some cash out. In effect, they want to sell a piece of the house so they can take some capital off the table for that market and invest it in something else and get a little bit of diversification. So in that simple model, they would simply go through a closing with an investor and let's say receive $20,000 and that money is available to them for any purpose. It's their money. 
the investor gets recorded on the deed as a tenant in common, and there's an agreement between the investor and the single-family rental owner, which says that when that owner sells the house, we figure out how much the investor gets paid back by starting with $20,000 and adjusting it by how much the index, the price index for that house changed. So a simple example could be the house went up 10% according to the index, and then when the house is sold, the investor, instead of their original 20000 receives 22000 That would be a, the most simple example you could give. Yeah. And, it's, and the reason, the, the way to make sure that everyone understands that it's equity and not debt is the fundamental difference is with equity, you never have to pay while you own something. There's no, there's no requirement on a monthly basis. There's no requirement to ever sell the house. Once you put a requirement on it, then it has features of debt, and that's what we're looking to avoid. But the the homeowner or the guy that bought the house is responsible for like maintenance and taxes and insurance and all that. That's exactly right. So we envision okay. that the institutional investor is going to want as simple an arrangement as possible. They have no control over the house. They have no responsibility for the house. They, in effect, have bought an index on the house that's backed by the house. So in that sense, it's very similar to having a mortgage. The owner is responsible for all costs uh, and reaps the benefit beyond the change in the value due to market forces. The index measures market forces. If they can figure out a way to increase the rent or make the house more valuable through smart investments, they have all that benefit. And the investor, in turn, has the buffer that they're not impacted by it. So you always want the party who controls an event to have both the rewards and the consequences of that, so that they're responsible and there's no moral hazard in the situation. And we think is that's what any, makes it attractive. Sorry. Is there any sort of dispute resolution between the homeowner and the investor as to uh, that 10%? Well, the fundamental dispute resolution is a contract they sign up front that says the they will set. Yeah, sorry? Yeah, they just agree that whatever the model says, it's uh, uh, going to be taken as, as accurate. Exactly. And then yeah. we need to take steps to assure that everybody has confidence that the indexes were calculated both reliably, accurately, and without any bias. So we have third parties lined up to calculate the indexes, to audit the indexes, to spot check them in a number of ways. So we're going to essentially self-regulate. So anybody looking at this process will have confidence that with the number of parties looking at it and scrutinizing it and testing it, that this is going to be fair. That's the most important thing with respect to the index. And then we think people will accept this new structure. So, Alan, it really is, it's Andy, it really sounds like it's almost like a, an investment partner. That, that it, so you're not borrowing the money. They're investing in the house and the values established by your index. So you really got to believe the index. But just so I'm really clear, just like really got this down. Tell me again, why isn't this like another way of going into debt? Okay, so let's go. Let's uh, fast forward to to phase two, where you have a an, an owner of a rental property, and let's contrast uh, debt versus index fractional ownership, which is the name for this investment. So with debt, there's monthly payments, and there can be either amortization to pay down the principal or balloon payment on a date certain. And that's the nature of debt. You have to pay it back on a date certain. With index fractional ownership, there is no monthly payment and there is no date certain. It's simply when the house is sold. Now, you could have an outside date that could be something like 30 years in the future uh, with a, an investor. With a homeowner, it probably will be lifetime. People aren't immortal, so that's good enough. So it, it will essentially be when you choose to sell your house, you pay the investor the index share of, of the house, your, your base amount, and then the appreciation. So, again, it's not debt because you don't have to pay it back on a date certain. You just simply need to set all up when you sell the house. So you can't get into cash flow trouble. You can't, you can't default because you haven't promised to pay anything. And that, 
that's true of if you think about how equity for a company works also it's much lower risk than debt because they don't have to pay a dividend that's their choice and they never have to give back the principal unless the assets of the company are sold it's the exact same model here with a house yeah and the investor in the index fractional ownership has investment risk like as if they were buying a mortgage-backed security it's a 30-year debt but it prepays and sometimes it extends more than you think but because people refinance or they sell and wow so many things more to talk about yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's actually an excellent point i mean if, if you think about it, we haven't really talked about it from the investor's perspective why would somebody do this so our view is that an investor would do this for a number of reasons first of all uh Many people want to own different kinds of assets that don't correlate with the overall stock market. Home prices don't correlate, number one. Number two, this is backed by a house, and we would structure it so that it's not a very leveraged investment. So it's, it's a safe investment backed by a house. Uh, number three, we hope to build up a liquid market so that they have liquidity. And number four, the return has to make sense. So I've been giving you a simple example where they get one times the index, which probably won't make it attractive. However, if somebody puts up, say, 20% of the value of the house, but gets half the appreciation based on the index, then it gets pretty interesting because, generally speaking, home prices rise with inflation. So if you're getting two and a half times inflation, that might be 5 or 6% right now, and a long-term, very, very safe product, then that can be attractive. And especially when you begin to think of how deep this market is. We have $15 trillion or so worth of houses in this country. That's roughly the size of the stock market. And there's a lot of money overseas in particular that would love to get into dollars, get into something safe, and have a solid long-term investment. So we believe that in the long run, this will bring a lot of capital into the country, into the housing market, so it'll be good for the housing market. It'll make home ownership less expensive and we said, as we said, it'll make uh, uh, lenders uh, less risky. And um, I, I think it's, as I said, I believe liquid markets generally create win-wins all around. So can I ask a clarifying question real quick? Sure. Dave, we have time? Yeah, um, yeah. go ahead. So, Alan, if, make sure I got this straight. So let's say we've got a, a $100,000 house. We've got a home buyer who doesn't have very much money. They only have... 5% down, their credit's okay, but not quite good enough. They can't get approved at a 95% LTV. The investor comes in and puts 20% in. The homeowner still puts in their five, so now you're down at a 75% debt-to-value, loan-to-value mm-hmm. ratio for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. So now their credit, even though it was not great, is good enough at 75, and they're fine. They get the house, and they're fine to give up 50% of the appreciation to the investor who they wouldn't have had the house without the investor, and it, it helps to get more people into housing. Am, am I on track, or what did I miss? No, no, you're completely on track. And think of what that does. As you said, the homeowner gets the house without creating undue risk for themselves or the lender, right? The, they have a lower payment, yep. and if for whatever reason the house goes down in value, that's already going to be absorbed by the, lend, by the equity investor, I should say, so taxpayers who are probably backing that loan are protected by that investor. The homeowner is protected by that investor. And more capital has come into the market. There's one more buyer who can safely buy a home. It becomes more affordable. And if, if prices rise, they win more than they would otherwise because they couldn't have owned the home. And if prices fall, they maintain their incentive to stay in the home and keep paying because we've protected their equity. Exactly. The only person that wouldn't like this would be our friends at RKMI, who now don't have coverage, but it still is better for the economy. That's true. I mean, I, I think that um, there are many, in any innovation, you know, there's going to be something that is being replaced. That's probably the piece that's being replaced. But still, there, we might decide that there should be MI, because that person only has put in 5%. It oh, a that's a great of, point. Oh, and sure, yeah. down to 60. Oh, good point. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, Al. I could keep going, but I better give it back to Dave. There's just, no, that's we fine. I mean, we, we actually hope to partner with the MIs because we think they're going to play an important role in bringing this out. Well, let us and if I was the equity investor, I'd want there to be someone else with me 
to help with with a limited down payment from the borrower. Of course, yeah. I, I think there's a way to structure it so that it becomes safer, and we as, we want to as much as possible use all the existing mechanisms because they function well, and we, it's, we don't want to innovate any more than we have to. We want to get this to be up and running soon to help to help everybody. Well, there's there's so much more we could need to and could get into in discussing on this. We're flat out of time. Hey, Dave, your mic's not very loud. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll have to turn that up here see if that is that a little bit better, Andy? Hopefully that yep, helps. you got it. All right, good, good. Uh, one of the things, Alan, is I look at the clock and the time just has gone by. I want to clarify something for some lenders that are out there in the marketplace that might be listening to, and this is, is this going to reduce the lending activity? And this is not. I have not heard anything about this innovative new product that is going to take lenders out it's actually actually should help lenders and the housing market do more. Is, am, am I correct in that? Yes, that's how it's intended, that somebody who couldn't otherwise buy a house can buy it or can buy it more safely. So any given loan might be somewhat smaller, but there are going to be more of them. And it's, it's basically something that is designed to live alongside debt and make the debt be safer and more prudent for everybody involved. So I, I believe that this innovation will actually um, be a boon to lenders, and they and they can become part of the infrastructure that, that rolls it out. And we're, in fact, we're talking to partners right now about just that. That's really interesting. It's very innovative, and I just thank you so much for taking time to be a part of it. In fact, we're going to add us to this. I'm going to. Uh, tack on a recording, and we're going to rebroadcast this, folks, uh, next to tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest. And I'm going to try to connect with Alan, and, and we're going to add some more context to this. So if you want to learn more, we've run out of time for this podcast. But if you're available and would like to learn more, uh, tune in to the rebroadcast of this Hot topic segment, and we're going to add and tag some more on. So that's a good teaser for you to want to come back and listen to the rebroadcast because we're going to be adding some more data. Folks, appreciate you being here with us. Look forward to having you back. Next week, we've got Logan Motoshami coming on, talking about his housing predictions, value, home sales, a lot of what's going on in the market. He's been so accurate, and it'll be really fun to have him back. So it's good to have you with us. Appreciate you tuning in. Alan, I'm going to give you a call back right after this podcast uh, is up, and we'll record some other comments that I'm going to bolt on to the other part when we rebroadcast this. Folks, good to have you with us. Have a great week, and tune in next week for Alan, where we have, when we have Logan Motoshami here with us. Have a good week, everybody. Talk to you soon. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.